2: Welcome back to the show. They call me Ben. My colleagues Matt and Noel are away at the moment and will be returning soon. I'm joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Tonight's episode will be a little bit different, fellow conspiracy realist. It's just us here. You, me, Paul and the NSA gathered around the digital fire in the great darkness of civilization. As we're recording the U S Congress just held another hearing on the existence of UFOs or UAP as they call them. And several of our good friends were in attendance. I want to give them a shout out. This includes folks like Jeremy Corbell and Payne Lindsay, both of whom are recurring guests here on stuff. They don't want you to know. Uh, Do check out their shows. Uh, Payne does shows like Up and Vanished and, of course, High Strange. And I can't say enough good things about Jeremy's show, Weaponized, with George Knapp. Anyhow, we will be following up on those events very soon. In the meantime, of course, let's say the quiet part out loud. Things are getting rough. The world seems chock full of looming ecological disaster. This will affect every living creature on the planet and every human being, regardless of demographic. Still, gather ye rosebuds while ye may, as Robert Herrick once wrote. We can't spend all our fleeting time on the planet worrying about stuff, and billionaires are no different. So this got me thinking, returning to something I've been thinking about for quite some time. And maybe you've thought about this, too. What what about those billionaires? You know, when they're not moving nations and corporations, what are they doing for fun? You know, what hobbies do billionaires have and what should we non-billionaires think about those pursuits? Here are the facts. Okay, first things first, it's helpful to get past the noise and figure out just how many billionaires exist. Figuring this out is really tricky for a couple of different reasons. The first reason is the concept of money and wealth gets kind of muddy at the very tip top of the socioeconomic hierarchy of our time. Wealth estimates for billionaires don't just rely on physical goods or physical assets like cash and property. They also rely on things like an individual's stock, an individual's investments. And both of those, as we've proven in previous episodes, can be alarmingly intangible concepts. They play a huge, huge role in the calculation of billionaire wealth. I mean, not too long ago, uh, Elon Musk had his wealth Estimates vary widely, and it was all due to the platform formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. The second reason this can be difficult is because some very, very powerful individuals are, frankly, beyond any realistic estimate of wealth. One excellent example of this in the West would be the current strongman of Russia— Vladimir Putin, no one really knows how much money uh, or influence Vladimir Putin personally controls. That is by design. And as troubling as it is to admit, this individual Putin is not unique in that situation. Privacy is a huge currency of the very wealthy and controlling the way they are presented to the public is another big, big part of their calculus. So those are our two problems. What is money at the very top or what is wealth? And how transparent or how obtuse is an individual's possession of this? So outside of intelligence circles, one of the best public sources for Billionaire Wealth is an annual list compiled by Forbes magazine. It's been coming out for many years now. It is named in a burst of creativity, the world's billionaires. As of 2023, the year we record this, Forbes magazine found that there are a total of 2,640 billionaires. That feels like a lot of people, 2,640 different people personally possess a billion or more dollars. Sounds like a lot. Until we realize that there are officially an estimated 8,050,877,661,237, People on Earth. Uh, You can go to a handy website called World Dominer to get the uh, up to the second estimates. Uh, It is a scary, scary statistic to watch. So that's a very small percentage of the population. And that number, 2,640 billionaires, that's actually down from the previous couple of years. Just last year, for example, there were 2,668 billionaires on the planet. In the space of just one calendar year, 254 people lost their billionaire status. Now, you've heard of a lot of these people, or you've certainly heard of their industries. We're talking about. Former crypto emperors like Sam Bankman Fried or his co founder Gary Wang. Uh, we're talking about folks like the musician and entrepreneur Ye, formerly known as Kanye West. And sorry that you had to learn about the bad news here, Paul. Kanye is officially no longer a billionaire. We're also talking about scads of tech tycoons, at least 19 founders of what are called unicorn companies. These are people like Alex Atala and Devin Fenzer of the NFT marketplace OpenSea and folks like uh, Pedro Franceschi of the credit card associated company Brex. Now, there are some people who drop out of the billionaire club by their own hands, by choice. One would be the founder of Patagonia. Uh, Yvonne Chouinard created this outdoor clothing and gear-making empire way back in 1973 and recently donated his personal fortune to a trust and an NGO uh, that is meant to fight environmental crises. Uh, This move was made in September 2022, so last year, almost a year ago now, and when Yvonne did this, he removed himself from the rankings. He is no longer a billionaire, and he had long criticized this sort of hoarding of wealth. So good on you, Yvonne. As a percentage of the population, obviously, billionaires are a laughably small demographic, yet. It should come as no surprise that this tiny, tiny slice of humanity has a cartoonishly outsized influence on pretty much anything they touch, anything they're interested in. Some people uh, in this demographic can simply go on air on your local mass media and they can say, I think. You know, I I think calzones or quesadillas are interesting and it will affect the price and value of everything related to calzones or quesadilla. It's it's crazy to quote, yay, no one man should have all that power at this level of power and money. Their financial movements become less like that of a human individual and more like The movement of a nation, the movement of an institution. To paraphrase the old observation, when a normal person owes the bank $1,000, it's that person's problem. When a billionaire owes a bank $100 million, that's the bank's problem. So let's talk about the wealth. Let's talk Turkey. Right now, All of those people we named, all those 2000 plus people are collectively worth 12.7 trillion dollars. And fellow conspiracy realist, I'm going to be honest here. Most of us, your faithful correspondent included, we can't really grok. We can't really understand. We can't really get our heads around the idea of a trillion as a number. So looking for the best way for we non-billionaires to understand it, uh, I, w- I want to give a shout-out to uh, USA Today. In a great article by Ryan Soup, they said this, For starters, we can think of a trillion dollars as a million million. So to start small, you could buy a really nice, really posh apartment uh, in San Francisco, for a million dollars, it would be a one bedroom, but it would be yours with one trillion dollars, you could buy a really nice apartment for everybody in the city of San Francisco because their population was close to a million at the time of writing of this article. Uh, you could also think of a trillion dollars as a thousand dollars Billion, a thousand instances of a billion dollars for one billion dollars, you can just go and buy a sports team like the Miami Marlins billion dollars. Congratulations. You own the Marlins for one trillion dollars. You could buy the Marlins 1000 times. And by the way, you would not be able to pay for this in cash. Going back to the weird idea of money at the very top might interest some of us to know that as of 2018, there are just over $1 trillion in circulation in the U.S. So the bulk of this money, this value, this idea of wealth, it is intangible. It is uh, solely in the realm of ideation, concept, and arguably imagination, which makes it, again, very close to religion. If we want to go back to the tangible and see where the rubber really hits the road, well, how much does a trillion dollars weigh? Going back to this USA Today article, we can say one U.S. dollar bill currently weighs about one gram. So, one trillion dollars would weigh 1 trillion grams. Easy enough. Let's convert the grams to pounds. Then we're looking at 2.2 billion pounds. That can equate to over 630,000 midsize cars. You know what I mean? Not, not like Hummers, uh, not, like a, uh, not like a huge Ford F-150 or something, but still, That gives us a physical sense of just how much money we're talking about. And only a little over two and a half thousand people have that much wealth in the world. Believe it or not, this enormous dragon's horde represents a decline year over year. Just as there are fewer total billionaires, they have a, a lower amount of aggregate total wealth. This year, in 2023, total billionaire wealth dropped by $500 billion. Again, we can argue that as proof, no one is truly immunized against the present and coming chaos. In short, it is a dog-eat-dog world, my friends, and the billionaires still bark, just like any other pooch. A day in the life of the billionaire is, you know, weirdly, in some ways, it's as familiar as your own. In other ways, of course, it is an incomprehensible alien existence. It's as strange as imagining the dreams of an octopus. It's stuff you couldn't understand unless you experienced it. Found a couple polls on this. Um, One from 2022 talked to 65 of the richest people on the planet at the time And they found, surprisingly, a lot of billionaires still choose to do at least some household chores and other domestic tasks on their own. You know, all the stuff that you wish you could pay someone else to do. Some of these folks still do it. More than 30 percent of them said they regularly go grocery shopping or they take out the garbage. Uh, Forty percent still love to cook, love to walk their dogs more than half of the people said they like to watch their children or their grandchildren's sports games. Only, I I thought this was funny too, Paul. Only 8% of billionaires bother with their own laundry, right? Because at some point, you got to enjoy the side perks of enormous financial success. Uh, There's also a funny story about how Bill Gates still washes his dishes at home, because he thinks no one else does it the right way. A very particular dude. But I'm reading this and I kept thinking, okay, fine. It makes sense for the public mass media to publish things humanizing these folks. But what do they do for fun? You know? What is what is their recreation? And should the public know? Should the public care? Is there any stuff billionaires don't want us to know about their hobbies. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to dive in, assuming a billionaire doesn't buy this podcast while we're on the ad break.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
3: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time-ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a guggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details.
2: here's where it gets crazy my fellow conspiracy realist the answer is there stuff they don't want us to know about billionaire hobbies yes absolutely yes Uh, Matt and Noel can confirm I've kept a list of aspirational billionaire pranks we can pull if ever we make it into that rarefied financial air. And I was surprised to find that some billionaires seem weirdly on board with a couple of my eccentric ideas. But before we get to all of that, let's start with just a list, just a little a little taste, a little amuse-bouche, a gift from the chef. Regarding specific weird billionaire hobbies over in the Philippines, there's a billionaire named William Bello. He owns the country's largest home improvement chain. And he is super into raising crocodiles. That's like his other thing, being a billionaire and then also raising crocodiles. He has two crocodile farms uh, that totals out to about 23,000 different reptiles, and he breeds them. But he breeds them for fun and profit because when he harvests these creatures, or when his people do it, if we're being honest, uh, their skins are sold to luxury fashion brands, and their meat is sold to Hungary, where it makes sausages. You can also find it in some local Filipino dishes. If we travel away from the Philippines we'll see a Google co-founder, Sergi Brin. And I kid you not, in addition to starting probably the biggest uh, tech company of its generation, Sergi is a trapeze guy. The dude is really into high adrenaline exercise and he loves the flying trapeze. He's even, on a couple of occasions, convinced some of his Google employees with, a am sure, a decent shot of bravado to try out Trapeze as a team. That seems like an interesting thing to me. That seems like something where, you know, somebody might break an arm, somebody might hurt their wrist or their ankle, but it's not going to overthrow a country. So it seems like a wholesome activity. And then there's, <laughs> there's Jack Ma, who is often cited, as the richest man in China. In addition to being the former CEO of the online giant Alibaba, Jack Ma is a well-known performer in China. Like he appears at music festivals and stuff. His most well-known performance was in 2017 where he impersonated, we kid you not, Michael Jackson. You can see the video on YouTube. It is honestly Pretty good. It's a pretty good performance. I'm going to say that. As someone who's never impersonated Michael Jackson, I was reluctantly impressed. So do check out that YouTube clip. Let us know your thoughts. And of course, there are more examples. Jeff Bezos likes to search for discarded space rockets beneath the waves. And honestly, that one feels like a service to humanity. You know, I never thought I'd say it, folks, but nice one, Jeff. Cheers. Cheers, man. In general, we have to understand there is a huge, huge problem with our concept of billionaire free time. These are folks who can and will exert massive influence to control how they are portrayed to the public, to investors, to other companies, and to other corporate entities. And it's just like when anyone else takes a self-reported poll, right, or post on social media. These people will tend to disclose the information they want us to see. So it should come as no surprise that among not just billionaires, but anyone with 30 million or more in assets, they sound, uh, I don't want to say unrealistically wholesome, but here's the list. Number one, philanthropy. Philanthropy proves to be by far the most popular hobby. Uh, more than one third of the wealthiest people on the planet say they love pursuing charitable activities. Um, uh, the second most popular interest in general we could say is sports that includes watching sports, playing sports, investing in things like sports competitions or teams. Uh, There's a lot of love for tennis, golf, skiing, what, uh, what people call football in the U S but most importantly, what people call football in the rest of the world. Soccer is uh, by far the most popular sport uh, amid the wealthy class. Uh, which is a surprise, right? Because I I think a lot of people in the West would assume golf would take the crown there. Sorry, golf. Other hobbies include hunting, diving, boating, watches, cultural events, fashion, rare automobiles, uh, and props, by the way, to the 15.9% of respondents in this poll who admitted, yeah, I like booze. They dig wine and spirits. Now for the average person, that might be something like saying in my free time at the end of the week, I like to go to a happy hour with my friends, you know, grab a beer, grab a cocktail or something. But in this case, digging wine and spirits means I will buy a, a spirit company. I will create a brand. You know what I mean? I will invest in this. And that's not, I mean, of course, alcohol is all sorts of dangers, but that is not the most dangerous self-reported hobby. Quite possibly, one of the most dangerous self-reported hobbies is categorized under the very general term, politics. And before we get into why that can be dangerous, we want to understand what a hobby actually is. And this may help us clear up some popular misconceptions. In general, a hobby is just something you like to do rather than something you have to do to survive. For example, eating is a have-to pursuit. For now, if you want to continue living, uh, you have to eat food. You have to drink water. You have to somehow ingest nutrients to keep the engine that is your body and your brain running. However, choosing to eat at high-end restaurants or choosing to teach yourself to cook fancy stuff at home like uh, I do or like Noel does, that's a hobby. And a hobby can also serve multiple purposes. Yes, sure, of course, some hobbies require you to spend money. And what you're doing is investing in somewhat of an at times intangible benefit, right? I'm I'm, uh, for instance, someone's buying a PS5 because they want to play a game. They don't think they're going to make a fortune off of playing that game, but it will interest them. It will occupy their time. It will intrigue them, and it will be some degree of learning experience. I was thinking about a good example for this. Uh, As Matt can assure us, a lot of people playing the amazing card game Magic the Gathering are playing it with no illusions that it will become their full-time job. Then there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I can personally assure you that no one is really in improv comedy for the money, but at the same time, a hobby can yield tangible results when you invest your time or your resources into it. Exercise is the best example. Exercise is a hobby and it should be so for everyone. Now, you might do it because you just enjoy exercising, but over time, you will reap tangible rewards from physical exercise. Your health will improve. Your life expectancy will go up. And, you know, if you're inclined, you can get a lot of great selfies along the way. This idea, this dual benefit, this sometimes paradoxical pursuit of goals, this applies to virtually every hobby. You know, uh, you may paint, you may sculpt, uh, you you may play guitar, like Paul is a great guitarist. And one day, you may sell the results of your work. Do you see where we're going with this, folks? When you are a billionaire, this potential dual purpose of a quote-unquote hobby becomes much, much more extreme. Michael Bloomberg did not become mayor of New York City because he needed a job. You know, it's not like the guy also had an application in at Dunkin Donuts with his fingers crossed to become assistant manager or something. I don't know. I mean, maybe he did. But you get the gist. Just like physical exercise yields physical benefits over time, politics and philanthropy as a hobby can yield enormous financial and socioeconomic advantages for those who can afford to play the game. Investing in local elections like the Koch brothers did so successfully in recent years in the United States, that hobby That hobby of politics led directly to control of politicians, and it transformed those politicians into cat's paws. Uh, I, I don't want to quite call them minions, but into employees in all but name that worked to enact favorable legislation for their primary funders. Winning a political position personally, like Bloomberg, can obviously open the doors to influence over all sorts of things. You have a powerful voice in the room now on policies concerning environmental regulation or who should be taxed and how, what does or does not constitute a monopoly in the world of business. This is an enormous power. And of course, if we are being fair, This is not to say that all billionaires in politics are somehow grifting along for their own benefit. To know that for sure, we would have to know a heck of a lot more about every single one of those 2,000-plus billionaires currently kicking it with you on the planet this evening. And those folks, every single one of them, they have what amounts to small armies of people working around the clock to manage their public persona. You know, again, remember, privacy is going to become one of the most valuable and one of the most elusive resources of the coming age. The real, like we see all these articles about, you know, the, the this, here's what the wealthy and famous do, blah, 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 blah. For a lot of these individuals, when you get past a certain threshold of wealth, fame becomes disadvantageous. They don't want you to know too, too much about what they're doing, why, what the end game is. Fame can be a disadvantage is what we're saying. Uh, And, you know, privacy as a resource or a currency. Make no mistake, folks. In the, I guess, mid horizon of the future, privacy is going to be uh, right up there with water in terms of value, potable water. I mean, shout out to our Water Wars series. So that's a bunch of stuff we're not saying. What we are saying in absolute fairness is simply this the opportunity for corruption and conflicts of interest exists. And in the world of politics as a hobby, that opportunity is so wide, it's so broad, it's so easy that it would be either willfully ignorant or willfully misleading to pretend that out of the thousands of people doing this, literally no one put their hand in the cookie jar, not one. I mean, come the f- on. Look, there's another troubling example. To paraphrase Rick James, philanthropy is a hell of a drug. We'll tell you what we're talking about after a word from our sponsors.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. So visit Snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice
3: on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a beginner Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
2: And we have return. Philanthropy. First, philanthropy is it's kind of an umbrella term. You know what I mean? Like how um there's an earlier example. Chair is an umbrella term. There are lots of things that qualify as a chair, and they don't all look the same. Philanthropy is kind of similar in that regard. Any activity that quote actively promotes human welfare end quote that counts as philanthropy and the tricky thing is that just like the concept of beauty the concept of philanthropy is very much an eye of the beholder situation you know what one billionaire thinks of as the good of the planet or the good of humanity overall may not vibe with what the public thinks it may be downright dangerous or even fatal for some members of humanity. And that break a few eggs to make an omelet concept comes into play in boardrooms, in estate offices, all the world over. And again, we're not going to hear a lot of those backroom conversations. There are also so, so very many philanthropic outfits Organizations, institutions, NGOs, call them what you wish. They're of all shapes and sizes all across the world. You know, everything from a everything from a local on the ground initiative to promote education and literacy all the way up to massive things like the Bill Gates Foundation. Millions of people work in association with these outfits. Billions of people are affected by their work. And if we are being unfailingly, absolutely honest, a lot of these employees would never know if the folks at the top of the organization had an ulterior motive. When weaponized in bad faith, these NGOs can circumvent existing laws and regulations to enact a billionaire's will. Just like the global art trade, they can function as a loophole, a backdoor of sorts for all kinds of nasty things like money laundering and tax dodges, you know, all the hits, all the good slow jazz. And of course, just like with politics as a hobby, this doesn't mean all NGOs nor all philanthropic organizations are corrupt. They can and still do a lot of good. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to estimate just how profoundly these organizations have collectively improved life on Earth, and not just for humans. And that stands true even if, hypothetically, some of the prime movers of these organizations are aiming for goals the public would ultimately disagree with. While we're on the subject of philanthropy, I want to note an excellent article over The Guardian by Carl Rhodes and Peter Bloom. This piece comes from 2018. It's called The Trouble with Charitable Billionaires. And even though it's a few years old, I think it still holds up today. It remains relevant. Rhodes and Bloom argue that there's another problem with what they call philanthrocapitalism. Maybe we can make that our word of the day. Philanthrocapitalism is the idea that very powerful people in the corporate world or in the world of finance, etc., anybody who's very powerful but not a state figure nor a religious figure, it's the idea that they're applying concepts from the boardroom to the concept of philanthropy, which again, actively promoting something that's good for people. And Rhodes and Bloom are pretty skeptical about this. They argue first that this could be seen as corporate hypocrisy. They're saying, look, a lot of these folks in the billionaire class, they're creating these organizations or they're making these donations to fix problems. Sure. Yeah. But they're fixing problems that they themselves caused in the pursuit of their fortunes. You know what I mean? It's like uh, uh, the argument is something like, okay, we did cut off someone's hand. So let's give them a band-aid, you know, stop the bleeding a little bit. It's not the same as not cutting off the hand in the first place. And they looked at a um, really compelling 2017 report by Oxfam. Oxfam itself, an NGO, Uh, published this report called An Economy for the 99%. And in this report, which you can read for free online, they highlight the injustice and unsustainability of a world suffering from widening levels of inequality. And regardless of uh, any of our own personal uh, ideological identifications, regardless of what we think about various, you know, various policies and the so-called culture war, the numbers here hold true. Since the early 1990s, the top 1% of the world's most wealthy people have gained more income than the entire bottom 50%. You know, and I'm, I'm no uh, math surgeon as I always like to joke, but uh, that math seems pretty lopsided. Oxfam asks why this is happening. They place the blame on certain culprits. They say the blame goes fully with corporations and the global market economies in which those corporate entities operate. These statistics, as Rhodes and Bloom point out, are alarming. The world's 10 biggest corporations right now, have revenues that exceed the total combined revenue of 180 of the least wealthy nations on the planet. And for comparison there, a very frightening one, the United Nations currently recognizes something like 192, a little over 192, 93 countries. So out of those, the majority of those countries all put together make less money per year than the world's 10 biggest corporations. And the authors argue here that corporate social responsibility isn't really making a difference. You know, um, there are things like initiatives by Warren Buffett and previously mentioned Bill Gates um, doing big, big things like, hey, let's both of those guys pledged They don't want to be billionaires. By the time they pass away. And Bill Gates is, uh, through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, fighting the spread of disease across the world. But let's go back to this Oxfam report because this report says the following. And I would love to hear what everyone thinks about this Quote, When corporations increasingly work for the rich, the benefits of economic growth are denied to those who need them most. In pursuit of delivering high returns to those at the top, corporations are driven to squeeze their workers and producers ever harder and to avoid paying taxes, which would benefit everyone and the poorest people in particular. So neither the philanthropy of the super rich nor socially directed corporate programs seem to have any real effect on combating this trend You know, they're they're treating some symptoms, but they're not treating problems. You know, the the authors talk in depth about Mark Zuckerberg, creator of Meta, uh, formerly known as Facebook. Zuckerberg knew there's a housing crisis in San Francisco and made a a donation of three million dollars. That's not going to really move the needle on San francisco's housing price crisis, you know as i as I said at the top of tonight's episode, a million dollars is like a nice one bedroom apartment in San Francisco. So buying three people apartments is nice, right? But what does it fix? and of course, we can still say something is better than nothing, right? And that's true. Something is logically better than nothing. But what about the vast fortunes that are being earned off this weird feedback loop that has been created? Philanthrocapitalism doesn't answer that. It doesn't solve that. It is instead a spoonful of sugar approach. And I would argue to you that spoonful of sugar is hiding some bad medicine. These enormous fortunes in the hands of very, very few people at a point, it doesn't matter how they earned it. You know, of course, there's that profound and valid saying at the heart of every great fortune, there's some great crime, but it doesn't really matter how people earned it when we're looking at these problems. Of course, a lot of people earn this through inheritance. The easiest way to become wealthy in the United States is to be born into a wealthy family, obviously. Um, It doesn't matter whether it came through honest commerce or crime. uh, It continues to grow as a result of this wobble-sided economic grift that is the current financial regime. And, of course, on the last part, there are hobbies that billionaires don't want you to know they have. They expend, some of them, great amounts of energy to make sure it doesn't get in the news. I'm talking about the stuff we're not going to hear about until these people have passed away or made very powerful enemies or their respective walls of silence have fallen due to a court case or a grisly murder or an accident and so on. And these include very, very unclean things, active roles in human trafficking, the commission of violent crimes up to and including homicide, rampant use of drugs. Trade in drugs, why not? Illegal trade in artifacts, uh money laundering through art, endangered animals, poaching, that kind of collecting, right? Uh there are people out there with the inclination and means uh to collect illegal things, you know, and there are I mean it's very true, there are things that have been collected en masse in people's estates and homes that belong in a museum. I don't care if I sound Indiana Jones about it. The ultimate issue is this. We're talking about billionaire hobbies. When you have a significant chunk of humanity's overall wealth, you will inevitably begin to lose perspective. And when we are capable of writing and rewriting the rules of society as we see fit, when we can buy the authorities – When we can collect the politicians just the way you might collect Pokemon, the things that we describe as hobbies, the things we do for quote unquote recreation with maybe a side benefit, that gets a lot less cutesy. It becomes much more dangerous. And at this point, let's pass it to you, longtime listeners, fellow conspiracy realists. What do you think? I will admit I am a bit torn about this because my. Policy has always been, and it always kind of still will be at heart, that a person's money and choices are their own. You know what I mean? People do foolish things with their money all the time, but it's their decision. And taking away that autonomy, taking away that decision, I think that takes away some agency. It takes away some part of a person's humanity and their right to exist even if you don't like what they're buying. However, just like the concept of money itself, doesn't that change a little bit at the top? Should it? I want to know your answers. This is a Gordian knot. It's a heck of a dilemma. Uh, would also like to hear about what kind of pranks or hobbies you would engage in with, let's say, nothing too big for this conversation. Let's say, what is your dream prank or your dream hobby if you had $1.4 billion? That's it. That's all the money you get. Um, That includes whatever you have to live off of, whatever your Fabergé egg budget already is. So nothing fancy. Uh, For example, so we don't end on a total downer note, I went back through my list of dream, I, I called it Pranks for Deranged Billionaires. And this is one of my dream pranks. I'd like to share it with you as we close the show. Quote, I want to buy used astronaut suits from multiple international space stations, then mail them to random residential addresses with the phrase, prepare yourself printed on a card on the back of the card there will be a list of the other addresses that I mailed the other suits to. And, of course, no return address. We're just going to ghost these people and make their lives a little more interesting. Uh, so that's the kind of wholesome prank we're thinking about. Uh, we want to know your pranks. We want to know your hobbies. We want to know your philanthropy. Let's do that. Tell us what you would do if you had $1.4 billion dollars. How would you attempt to make the world a better place? Or would you just get real weird with it, Frank Reynolds style? Uh, Can't wait to hear your thoughts. As always, you can find us in so many places online. We're on Facebook, where we've got the group, Here's Where It Gets Crazy. We're on YouTube, Conspiracy Stuff. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. And Matt Nolan and I are continually making New little things for this. You can also read our book, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And if you do not sip the social meds, you can always give us a phone call. The number is, and say it with me, 1 833 STDWYTK. When you call, you will hear a hopefully familiar voice and then a beep like so beep. That means you will have three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Do with them what thou wilt. You can give us what's on your mind. We would love it if you give us a moniker, a street name, an AKA, a nickname. Uh, Let us know whether we can use your voice and or message on the air. Most importantly, if you have something that needs more than three minutes, please, please, please just write to us. We read every single email we get. We love the Pictures. We love the addendum. We love the links. Take us to the edge of the rabbit hole. We will do the rest. Uh, that's all for today. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, Matt Noll and I have so much more stuff they don't want you to know. If you're saying, but wait, Ben, where's the email? Don't worry, I've got your back. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
1: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The Holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drunk kind of fun. The Make a splash all summer kind of fun. I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find, for the fun of it, kind of fun.
4: Don't wait to start your fun season. King's Island is now open on weekends. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
3: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God.